Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Taylor Kaufman, the Kansas City native and KU grad, as she covers the sports scene in the Ozarks out in Springfield. We'll get her thoughts on uh, the Chiefs and a few other things as she makes her Jones Report debut. Coming up here in just a few minutes from right now here on the Jones Report today. Joining me, as always, is the one and only Thomas Bridges. And, uh, TB, uh, we, we had a good Thanksgiving, and you introduced me to gumbo down in Tulsa on Friday. I had the shrimp gumbo at this place called uh, Nola, and my life is now changed. Uh, so I, I thank you for that. I, I feel like I'm I'm indebted to you now. Like, I, I owe you something for that now. It was delicious, wasn't it? Oh, yes. There's just something that you can't pass up, and gumbo is one of them. I had the crawfish gumbo, and that, it is, it's so good. I, I mean, I don't, I can't believe I went as long as I did without it. I think I had it for the first time in 2014. Um, and ever since then, I couldn't believe how good it was. And then even up until this year, I'd never made it myself until I believe it was Early this year, I made it for the first time, and I've made it about 10 or more times after that fact. And even my dad loves it. My mom's not big on seafood, so and I always put sausage and shrimp in mine uh, just because I can't really find good crawfish around here. I mean, I guess I could make them, but the time that it would take to peel and crack and do all that's not worth it. So um, shrimp and sausage it is for me, and Jones, one of these times I'll have to make you mine. I don't think it's going to come close to Nola's, but that's why I'm not in the restaurant business, but it's still good um, and still delicious, and Nola's has become one of my favorite places in Tulsa, even though I've only eaten there two times. It was very good. I was very impressed. Uh, Tom all week had told me, you know, hey, we need to go to Mother Road Market. We need to check this out. You know, there's a, you know, chicken sandwich you need to try and all this and then at the last minute tom calls an audible that we're going to this this cajun place and i had gumbo for the first time and i gotta say with that decision by tom he was more like tom brady at the line of scrimmage making this call to go ahead and go through nola do a nola and we punched it in we got the touchdown uh, off the the change at the line of scrimmage there tom I think we did. It's almost more like Peyton Manning instead of uh, saying Omaha. I said New Orleans. Yes. And away we went. <laughs> and uh, New Orleans, New Orleans. And uh, we did. And we'll have to go back. You'll have to try the etouffee next time. Uh, there's also there, and I'm maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, we'll see, going there for their lobster mac and cheese. Uh, I saw it on the menu. I had to try to knock out the first two Nola dishes, though, which is, you know, gumbo and etouffee. And I'm sure there's, like, the jambalaya I probably need to knock out as well. But I think maybe tomorrow I will go and try the lobster mac and cheese. That sounds good. I think you got the right idea as far as that goes of uh, some good food. But we had very good Thanksgivings. Mine was very short. Went home for a couple days, then came back to watch that debacle that was a football game between KU and Baylor. And then the next day I was out at the Chiefs and Raiders game, and the Chiefs looked really good. Their offense didn't play great, yet they still put up 40 points, and the defense put up their best performance to date. 
holding the uh, Raiders to just nine points. Uh, really good showing from the Chiefs. You were out at Bedlam and saw Oklahoma take down Oklahoma State, and uh, the Sooners are now in position to uh, possibly make the college football playoff after they got some help from Oregon a couple of weeks ago and such here. Uh, I mean, not really what we expected from Oklahoma State. I thought that they would put up more of a fight than what they did against OU. The Sooners really had their way with the Cowboys from start to finish in that game. They did, and, you know, if I could go back in time, might not have bought the ticket, even though they were a lot cheaper than they were, you know, two hours previous before the time I bought them, but originally went down there because the software I used at work was throwing our company a tailgate, free barbecue and free beer and wine, uh, not to mention just being in Stillwater, I was not going to pass up that time. Uh, and then as the streets cleared, we went ahead and bought tickets to the game. And let me tell you, it's not the coldest bedlam I've ever been at, but it was pretty cold. If it wasn't for the wind, it might have been okay. But let me tell you, one of the coldest bedlams, the coldest bedlam I've ever been to. I guess I haven't been to a lot, so maybe my sample size isn't worth saying this, but the uh, Blake Bell final drive in the end zone, early morning bedlam with snow on the ground was the coldest bedlam I've ever been to and probably the most disappointing. That was the uh, one with where that said, Justin Gilbert dropped the interception? Yeah, he did. Now he's even, he's not even in the in the league anymore, so, you know, can't even, you know, I just can't believe it. Um, still to this day, it's one of, probably one of the more disappointing OSU games I've ever been to, and there have been a handful of those. I was in um, today, Tom. I was doing one of those. I'm sure you've done it before, like a like a you know, mouse trap of YouTube videos where you're watching one thing and it leads to another, and you keep going. And somehow, I found myself watching the Oklahoma State 2011 season. Like I watched like the last three games today, back to back to back. I started with that Iowa State game. And then I watched the OU game, and then I watched the Fiesta Bowl game after that. And I was still thinking to myself, especially now, and we're about to talk about the college football playoff here in just a second here, uh, of a circumstance where a team gets left out of some sorts. I still to this day think that Quinn Sharp made that field goal, and OSU should have been the national championship game against LSU. I mean, that's one, that's one of those where it really got away. It did really get away. I, still, I think about that game from time to time. Uh, also, just in, in recent seasons where I went to a handful of OSU games, I've realized that I went to three out of the four OSU losses this year, uh, which is, I think that's a, a, a newer-ish record. So the only game you saw them win was Kansas? No, no, I saw them win McNeese, which, wow, okay. McNeese State, I saw them win... Against Tulsa. Okay. Um, I went to the Texas game, saw them lose. I went to the Baylor game and saw them lose. I saw them against Kansas, saw that win. I didn't go to the K-State game. I didn't go to the TCU game. I was planning on going to the Iowa State game. And, you know, I just I was planning on going to the West Virginia game. All the games that I planned on going to that I didn't, I should have. So um, what you're saying is the three wins you saw from OSU this year were the three easiest on their schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, you know, considered going to the bowl game, I still am. 
But if I'm the back luck charm here, then maybe I'll just stay at home. Might um, be a good idea. Might be. As much as I would love to go to Memphis, Jones, because I think that's they're going to end up in the Liberty Bowl against A&M. So... We'll see. We'll try again next year, and hopefully we'll see uh, We'll see him, you know, win some more games that I'm actually at. You know, Jones, there was one year, uh, just speaking on a little college football tangent lore here, uh, you can ask Billy. We had went to pretty much – we'd went to every single home game, and we went to the Texas game that year. And up until the last two games, which were Baylor and OU, I can't even think what years this is, 2015 maybe? Yeah. OSU was undefeated, and so we went to pretty much every game possible, all at least all the home games, one away game, and every game, even on the games that we didn't go to that were away games, I I wore a specific outfit, even down to the underwear and the socks and the shoes. Uh, and then when it came time, they played Baylor. Baylor was ranked, I think that was, I don't know who that would have been at quarterback, maybe Bryce Petty. Before the whole Baylor ship imploded, um, and wore these shorts, this dry fit polo shirt, and this thin Nike jacket to every single game. And let me tell you, the, that might be one of the coldest games I've ever been to, is that Baylor game. And everyone looked at me crazy for wearing shorts and a thin jacket when it was at least 30 degrees outside. And I braved through it. We lost that game, and then we went to Bedlam, and I wasn't going to wear the same thing, and then they end up losing that game too. Um, so with that being said, no more game day outfits for me. That proved that it didn't work. And then, you know, showing up to random games this year proved that it didn't work either. So next year I think we'll probably try something different. So new good luck charm of some sorts. Uh, we'll see right. what uh, works out for you. But – uh, starting with the college football playoff and this circumstance that we're looking at right now, the top seven entering this week, and, and we'll reveal our picks later on in the show. We won't do this quite yet, but breaking down these games, you know, looking at these standings here, number one, Ohio State, no surprise. Number two, LSU, no surprise. And I think that you could flip those either way and nobody's really going to complain. Um, they've both had terrific seasons. They both have great resumes, no matter how you stack them up, it doesn't matter really who's number one or number two between those two teams. Clipson, pretty well set at number three. I think that this weekend, any of those three teams, if they lose, are probably still going to make the playoff at this point in time. The four spot is when things get interesting. And that's where a number of different things could happen. If Georgia takes care of business against LSU, if they can pull off that win, Georgia's in. And then the top four as is, all make the playoff more than likely. That would probably be the most likely scenario. But if Georgia loses, and they are a seven-and-a-half-point underdog, then there's going to be a lot to figure out this weekend. Here's how this all shakes out. Your weekend viewing habit of some sorts. Here's how it all lines up. Friday night, you get Utah and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. And if Utah wins that game, then they're in very good position to make the playoff with a win for LSU. 
Then on Saturday morning, you get the Oklahoma and Baylor game. And the winner of that game is going to have a case to be made for the playoff, for that final playoff spot. That's going to eliminate somebody there. The winner of the OU-Baylor game is going to have a more impressive resume win than what Utah could have against Oregon based on the way the rankings line up of Oregon being at 13 and OU being at 6 and Baylor being at 7. So, with that being said, the million-dollar question, and it might remain to be seen. We might just need to see what happens this weekend before we can even answer this. But if you were to guess right now, Tom, if Georgia loses and it comes down to Utah or the winner of the Big 12 championship game, who goes in at this point in time? I think, personally, that a win against in the Big 12 championship, going up against that opponent as opposed to Utah facing Oregon, I would take the Big 12 champion to get into the playoff. That's how I would do it if I'm in charge. That's how I think it should happen. But so far, all season long, the college football playoff committee has liked Utah better than both OU and Baylor at this point. So here's how I think it's going to go. Given that Georgia loses, okay, I think, I think because – I think we both agree that if Georgia wins, it's going to be – and it won't even matter per se. I don't even know what it would matter if you're the two or the three. The top four teams would remain the same. The seeding would change if it would be the same four. Right, right. So, essentially, if Georgia was to win, it would be Ohio State and then probably Clemson and then LSU at the three, which that wouldn't matter either way, and then four would be Georgia. So, that wouldn't – you know, that would just – well, if Georgia is, wins, is. then they would be the higher seed than LSU. Because they would have won the yeah, head guess, with LSU. Yeah, I guess that's true. So four would be LSU, three Georgia. That would be a time. Um, and then, so if Georgia loses, like, you know, possibly would be a crazy thing to say, yeah, they're going to lose. Um, so if they lose... Then you have, if Utah wins and OU wins, I think OU gets the four spot. If Utah wins and Baylor wins, I think they give it to Utah, and that is what you call college football privilege. You can still call it CFP, like college football playoff, but at this point it will come down to college football privilege, and they will give OU that spot winning the Big 12. If if Utah comes, now if it, if it comes down to it and Utah loses, then it doesn't even matter. A big Whoever the Big 12 winner will get in. Right. Uh, you know, it's all pretty much contingent. The chaos is contingent on Utah winning and obviously Georgia losing. Right. Uh, which is not crazy at this point. Uh, but Utah winning is a very real possibility. Uh, don't get me wrong. Oregon might have had some losses that shouldn't have happened, but namely Arizona State. But uh, Utah losing to USC, not that crazy. Uh, either. So if they end up winning, they end up beating Oregon and OU still wins against Baylor. I don't even, I don't, I don't even care if OU wins by one point and Utah wins by 21. I still think they give OU that spot. And then, you know, Baylor wins and Utah wins. I think they give Utah the spot. I think Matt rules got the shaft either way, really. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not rooting for Baylor or fighting for this Baylor team by any means because I think 
OU or Baylor gets in, I, I think Ohio State or LSU, either one is going to blow them out. So tell me this, Tom. Um, if you're in charge of the selection committee, if besides what you think is going to happen, what do you think should happen? If you were in charge, or, do you, or you could even say that you may need to just see how this plays out. Maybe you need to see this weekend. I don't know. But how would you go about this if you're the committee as far as the four teams that should go in um, if if uh, if Georgia loses and Utah and you know the Big 12 champion puts it together? Who would you put in, or do you still need to see those games play out before you can have a definitive answer? So I'll give you an answer even though it's not definitive. Uh, I would, for a definitive answer, I would need to see obviously both games, uh, and we will. But if it's going to play out and Utah does win, I, I would still – this is why we need a, we need a play-in game. This is exactly the situation because we need OU and Utah to play out a neutral field if both teams win by like similar margins, let's say. If, you know, if OU wins by 14 and Utah wins by 14, uh, you know, they've – OU came back and, you know, on that Baylor team and then they beat him again. Uh, so I, I guess as much as it pains me to say, I probably would put OU in, but I, I could see the committee saying, you know what, OU's been in however many times, can't seem to make it past the first round, let's go with a due team, let's just, let's just give it to Utah and see what happens. It would be fair, necessarily, but I could see that happening. But I, I don't think – I could see it happening. I don't think it will. And then, like I said, I think if OU wins and Utah wins, they give it to OU. If Utah wins and Baylor wins, they give it to Utah. But what would you do if, let's say, Baylor wins and Utah wins? Would you personally put Utah in over Baylor? That's hard to say because those are two teams that are not blue bloods. I don't know what you do then. You flip a coin. I mean, I don't. I would hate to be on the committee and that happen. So in that case, you way, need to see that. So, and that's that's fine to say. You need to see the the games play out themselves before you can answer that question. You would you would have to. And let's say Baylor and Utah both win. Some team's going to get the shaft. Yeah, that's just what it comes down to. Some team's going to be pissed off. Yeah, uh, and you know, you could say that Baylor's loss to OU and then coming back and beating them is more impressive than Utah losing to USC and then just going and winning the Pac-12. You could say that, and at that point, I would probably put Baylor in. I would because put. Because if, if they can come back and, and do a revenge win in the Big 12 championship against OU team that had come back after Baylor had been up so much, if they can come back and revenge themselves, uh, then I think you have to put Baylor in. I personally, if you make me in charge of the committee, um, I don't care about style points personally. I know I heard Kirk Herbstreit say after they revealed the rankings that you know OU and Baylor, they, they need to have impressive wins. They need to have style points. It doesn't matter how you win. It it really doesn't. It's the final score. What, what do players point to all the time, Tom? It's scoreboard. What the scoreboard says. I really don't care how you pulled off the win. It's whether you got a done or not. Uh, you think about that Auburn team with Cam Newton that won the national championship several years back. They went undefeated and none of their games almost the entire regular season were blowouts. They were close all season long, but they found ways to win. 
and they were the undisputed number one team in college football, won the national championship. I don't care how you win, just whether rather you get it done or not. So that's where I disagree with Herbie in that regard. I will say that when you look at Utah's resume, there's no top 25 wins there. Oregon would be their first top 25 win. OU and Baylor each have more top 25 wins. Um, they've each beaten Oklahoma State at this point in time. Uh, you also would have the wins, of course, against each other, whoever would play out there, and the other games. Uh, it, both of them beat Iowa State. Baylor beat K-State. OU didn't of some sorts. But you think about Baylor. You avenge that loss. I think that redeems your resume. That's why you have the Big 12 championship game for this opportunity to rebound. OU avenged their loss last year against Texas in the Big 12 championship game. And they may not have been in the playoff if they didn't get that rematch with Texas and that chance to avenge it. So personally, I don't care what I see from Utah on Friday night. If the Big 12 champion takes care of business, um, and we see Georgia lose. I got the Big 12 champion in the playoff resume. It's all subjective. If we try to point to well, who dominated who and look at style points and such, especially when Utah has played nobody all season long, no top 25 wins. Well, of course they dominated all the teams they played. They didn't play anybody. I got to go with resume. And resume says that the Big 12 champion, whether it's OU or Baylor, either one, had a more impressive season than uh, than Utah did, and as far as that goes, Tom, I can see that. I would, I would hope that you know if Baylor was to pull this off, I'd imagine that they would get in. Given that Georgia loses, I mean the chaos is pretty much contingent on Georgia here. Uh, would I be shocked if Georgia pulls it off? No, would not, uh, would not at all. Uh, I could, I could definitely see it happening. I mean LSU's a good team. They, I would, I think it's fair to say they haven't looked as of impressive as of late. Does that mean they're not going to come out and blow the doors off? Uh, I don't know. I I don't. Uh, it's I'm. This is one of the more exciting ends to a college football season, even though my team's not about it. Um, that I can remember in a while. I mean. This is why, Jones, that we need a play-in. Well, we need an eight-team playoff is what we really need. Yeah, right, exactly. That's what we really need. But I'm really it, tired, Tom, of the subjectiveness of trying to stack up these teams. Well, who's more impressive, the Pac-12 champion or the Big 12 champion? You need an eight-team playoff where all the Power Fives have an automatic bid for their conference champion. The best group of five team, leaving room for a UCF or a Boise State or a Memphis or some sorts, and then two wild cards, or if you want to call them at-larges, I don't care what you want to call them, but the best two teams remaining at that point in time, then we would be talking about, you know, hey, um, the winner of OU Baylor is going to be automatically in. If Utah takes care of business, they're automatically in. The winner of LSU Georgia, automatically in. If Clemson wins, they're in. Ohio State wins, they're in. I mean, this would make things a whole lot easier if we expand this playoff and have automatic bids like you see in every other single playoff in every other sport. 
So how long until we get to that point? Could be a while. I don't think it's 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 not if. I really do think it's when. Right. How I mean, how long would it take? I mean, that's one of the things too. I 100% agree with you. Uh, should be like that. It's a sad deal that it's not or it wasn't from the jump. I mean, think about it. When you compare to other sports, the NFC East champion in the National Football League is going to host a home playoff game, but yet somehow the Big 12 champion might not make the college football playoff. Where in the world does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Now, how – I guess this is more of a, uh opinionated question – how hard would it be for them just to go ahead and implement that, let's say not next season, but the next season? All comes down to politics of TV contracts and such and conferences getting along with each other, all the stuff that uh, you and I are not in those meetings or discussions that go over our heads, Tom. It really should. They should just really just get along for a little bit and just make that happen. It would be better for everybody. I don't see anywhere down the line where that would hurt anybody. All right, if if I made you pick one team, Tom, of these potential playoff teams that I said, Tom, you got to ride or die with um, through the end of the playoff, who you think is going to win it all? Who's the one team you're taking right now with the best shot to be the national champion? You know, there's all it, comes, it really comes down to two teams, and I think you know the two teams I'm talking about. But if I just had to pick one right now, after the way I saw what they did to Michigan, uh, I got to go with Ohio State. They're the most impressive so far. I got to go with LSU. And I don't say that's a disrespect to Ohio State either. I think these two teams are very close, and it could be a heck of a national championship if they faced each other. But Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the country. He has been incredible this season. Um, you know, that defense is starting to come along. They played really good against A&M last week. They're loaded in their skill positions. I'd take LSU, uh, but not by much. I think it's very close. I will say, too, don't sleep on Clemson. This is a team that's won two out of the last three national championships. They might have the most talented offense in the country with Trevor Lawrence and ETN and Justin Ross and those guys. Nobody is talking about Clemson. I know that they didn't really dominate teams or play a tough schedule. Their ACC championship game is going to be the first time they faced uh, a ranked team since that A&M game back in their non-conference schedule. I get that. Um, but I'm telling you, I think Clemson, much like the effect, Tom, we saw with Saban and Alabama the last couple years where, you know, hey, maybe they limped into the playoff, but you gave Saban a month. They figured it out, and they won the whole darn thing. I think in Clemson's case, they might be limping in. You know, they're kind of there, but nobody realizes it of some sorts. I want to count out Clemson to still match up and go toe-to-toe with Ohio State and LSU by any by any means. No, I wouldn't count them out either, and it's kind of the, I don't know, it's kind of like the Patriots last year. You know, I wouldn't say they limped into the Super Bowl by any means, but the final four, I don't think anybody was taking them to beat the Chiefs, and then I don't really think anybody was necessarily taking them to just go ahead and beat the Rams the way they did. I mean, they held them to three points. So, uh, I, I mean, I could see it matching up a whole lot like the Patriots were last year. No one's really talking about them. No one's really saying anything about them. It's all, you know, Ohio State, 
LSU, and then whoever's the fourth spot is. No one's really saying anything about Clemson. They have a lackluster championship game against Virginia. You know, it's not primetime slated. It's, you know, it's not it's not one of those games that anyone's going to actually want to watch. And so right. I think, I agree, I think they would almost be a team to watch out for. I, I mean, I guess the thing that goes without saying, obviously, but not a lot of people are talking about them. They're flying under the radar, and that might not that might not be good for everybody else. I think those top three uh, separate themselves from that four seed. Um, I would not be shocked if any of those three win the national championship, Tom. I would be shocked if that four seed, whether it's Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma, or Baylor, any of those four, whoever that four seed is, I would be shocked if one of those teams won the national championship. The other three wouldn't surprise me. Right. Wouldn't you be shocked if OU ended up winning, uh, you know, getting to the fourth spot and then playing Ohio State and beating them? That would be bananas. That, that would be bananas. And then they have to go and probably play LSU. Right. That would, that would be, after the season OU's had, kind of the roller coaster of close wins and, you know, or, or think Under, about I wouldn't say think about Baylor. If Baylor gets in as that four spot, if they beat OU, and you know if Utah misses, whether they lose in the Pac-12 championship or Baylor got in over them, how big of an underdog is Baylor going to be? Whether it's Ohio State or LSU, they're going to be, I would imagine, at least a 14-point underdog in the semifinal alone, let alone if they were somehow to get to the national championship. If they get just to the semifinal, I would guarantee, guarantee they'll be a double-digit dog. Oh, easily. I, you would be crazy not to think so. And they would be, I don't know, it would be almost disrespectful for Ohio State or LSU, whoever Baylor would end up playing, to not give them double-digit spread just because of the way they played. And, and it's not, I mean, Baylor hasn't necessarily I mean, they've blown the doors off Kansas, sure. Uh, but, you know, in the bigger matchups, I, who what, was it Iowa State that almost pulled it off against Baylor? Right. There, there was uh, several teams that, that came close uh, to beating Baylor. But I think it's more so for me, Tom, it's the talent discrepancy that uh, Baylor, as good as they are, an impressive season it's been for Matt Rule, if you look at the talent level that Baylor team uh, it's not there like it would be Ohio State or LSU. I think that's, to me, where I look at why uh, those other teams would be such a heavy favorite against Baylor as far as that goes. But moving on, let's uh, go to the National Football League. Uh, starting off with the Kansas City Chiefs, we mentioned it off the top, big win against the Raiders, 40-9, to and the Chiefs are now 8-4 and on the season. Patrick Mahomes didn't play great. At halftime, his completion percentage was just 44%. He went on to have uh, two touchdowns in this game, one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown. Darwin Thompson, how about that, Tom? To me, that was the story of the game. Darwin Thompson had 11 carries for 44 yards, his first career rushing touchdown, and he did it on the day of Alan Trimble's passing. Alan Trimble, of course, the legendary Oklahoma high school coach out at Jinx, uh, won uh, I believe it was 13 or 14 state championships in a 23-year stretch. And uh, Darwin Thompson, of course, played for Trimble down there. Um, Trimble passed away on Sunday from ALS. Just heartbreaking. This guy was bigger than football, too. Not only was he the greatest coach in Oklahoma high school history, 
but just an incredible person, a leader of men, loved the Lord with all his heart, just an incredible guy. And for Darwin Thompson to go out there and have, as a rookie, the best game of his career so far to get that touchdown run, um, that was one of those moments that make you just love sports, providing those healing moments. And uh, for him to just to get to have that, I mean, that was that was too cool. Yeah, that was special. I watched the the interview, and I don't know. I guess if it was it, I mean, you had talked to him. Harold Coons had talked to him. Uh, several people kind of knew the situation uh, that he was, you know, facing, and and the words that he said about his coach. I mean, couldn't have been better. Uh, honestly, I mean, uh, testament to you know. Darwin Thompson's worth that worth ethic, and you know, testament to Alan Trimble and the coach that he was, and the the impact that he made, uh, you know, on so many players, and and a lot of those players went on to play NFL in the NFL. So, uh, I mean, I would like to see, you know, out of all the coaches in Oklahoma history, who has the most NFL players come from under them. Uh, I I wouldn't doubt that Alan Trimble's name's right up at the top. Yeah. Uh, just incredible, and his legacy is uh, one that is uh, beyond just sports itself. I mean, and, and, and he was so good, such a leader in everything that he did. Trimble was, I don't know how many people realize this, Dom, but his first state championship at Jinx wasn't coaching football. It was girls track and field that he won his first state title in. Uh, just incredible of a leader and man he was, and Darwin Thompson didn't even start at Jinx High School. And yet, look what he's done, making it to the National Football League and playing on a big stage for the Kansas City Chiefs. It was awesome to see. Um, but with that being said, the Chiefs' defense, other than that game against Tennessee, you can point to and see that there's improvement there. Getting Chris Jones back was huge. The run defense, they gave up over 100 yards in that first half to Josh Jacobs, but they adjusted in the second half accordingly, held him to, I believe it was 10 or 15 yards in that second half, Really good job there. Derek Carr struggled in that game um, to move the football up and down the field. The Chiefs' pass defense is really coming along. They may not might not have an elite cornerback, but they have almost an elite pass defense. The way that they're able to defend the pass, we saw them pick off Phillip Rivers four times. They pick off Derek Carr twice. Um, they're not giving up the big plays. This is huge uh, for the Chiefs. You think about it. They went to the AFC Championship last year, almost the Super Bowl, with arguably the worst defense in the National Football League last year. And now this defense is starting to emerge to be in the upper half of the league. I know that the Chiefs' offense has dropped off a little bit, but I would expect, Tom, the Chiefs' offense is going to figure things out sooner rather than later to get back to the form that they were early in the season, especially getting all their bodies back together and involved there. Chiefs offense is going to be fine. The fact that the defense is there, watch out. If you're sleeping on the Chiefs, if you're focused on the Patriots and the Ravens, um, you would be very mistaken, my friends, because the Chiefs, I know that they're probably going to be playing in the wild card round, but everything's still in front of them. They very well could still win this AFC. Yeah, I think they could too. I, I think you could compare them a lot like Clemson is right now in the three spot. Uh, I mean, a lot of people sleeping on them, not really talking about them. Uh, just enough time for the Chiefs to get all their weapons back in order, all their ducks in a row. Uh, you know, the defense is stepping up. 
Uh, you know, the Raiders aren't the best team, but I didn't expect them to hold Josh Jacobs the way they did either. So, um, with the way it's going right now, the, the Chiefs, you know, as long as they – I think the most important thing is, yes, to keep winning games, obviously, but almost more importantly, stay healthy. Get healthy, get you know, get everybody back. No more injuries, no more out for however many games, no more nagging injuries, no more and no more lingering. And if they can do that and stay healthy and still win, uh, I mean, I think Jones, for the most part, I think you'll agree. I think this Sunday we're going to learn a lot about the toughness, you know, how tough and how gritty this Chiefs team is. Uh, they've, you know, been playing better football. They got New England, who hasn't been. If they can go into Foxborough and get this dub, then I think that's going to show a lot about how far this team can go in the playoffs. Yeah, and it'd be their first, you know, resume win of some sort, you know, big time win of the season uh, so far at this point. Uh, I know the Vikings. I guess that was probably their best win so far, um, but that would be huge if uh, Kansas City can knock off New England. We'll pick that game coming up later on in our picks against the spread this week. The uh, Cowboys lose to the Bills on Thanksgiving, 26-15. to Two things to really take away from this, Tom. The Bills are for real. They're at 9-3. and three. If you were sleeping on them and Josh Allen and company, uh, you need to wake up because that Bills team is pretty fun. And what they are able to do on both sides of the football, that's a good group. The Cowboys at 6-6, six and six, they still might win that division because of how bad that division is. Um it's a mess right now. Dak is not moving the football well. Zeke's having a down year. That defense isn't what it was expected to be. And Jason Garrett somehow still has a job. Although Jerry Jones did say that he's going to be a good coach somewhere in the NFL next year. It's a mess somehow in Dallas. And yet, they're still in contention. I'm, I'm very confused how this all plays out. Uh, I mean, I get it why Jason Garrett's not fired. They're still in contention. If they were in any other division in the National Football League, Tom, we would see Jason Garrett out of a job right now. You think they're going to give Jason Garrett the Ron Rivera, the Ron Rivera treatment if they not, were in the NFC? If they were in the NFC South, yes. you think they get? Yes, I would. Rivera treatment. Yes. And Ron Rivera, I want to talk about him in just a second, but he was wrongfully fired. He he got royally screwed. But, yes, uh, the Cowboys, this is a mess what that, that team is right now. Um, and I don't blame Kellen Moore. I know Dak's not playing great, Zeke and company. This all has got to go on Jason Garrett. Eventually, after 10 years, it all comes back full circle. This is all on Jason Garrett at this point in time. Right, and and – if for you know, we'll get to Ron Rivera, obviously, but I agree, he did get royally screwed. And uh, you know, as as far as the Cowboys go, I mean, we always see it, and I feel like it's it's kind of like Jones. Have you ever seen the movie Jeepers Creepers? I have not. Oh my God, I can't even use the analogy then. But anyway, every so often, every few years or however long, we always see this happen. And the last time that I can really remember it was that Seahawks team. That the division is so bad. Even, you know, all four teams down the list is so bad that a team like Dallas is right now at 6-6 six and six is going to sneak into the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. Right. It's going to happen. And then we're going to have to have the conversation again like we did back when the Seahawks happened is, is, 
lot like the college football playoff needs to change the eight teams they need to do they need to have a reformation of the NFL playoffs and put the best six teams in the playoff. I well, mean, at, at the at very way, least, Tom, think about this, is I would like to see where if you win your division, it doesn't guarantee you a home playoff game, and it doesn't guarantee you a top-four seed. I get it if you want to put division winners in, but, I mean, at the very least, like, come on, Dallas or Philly have no business getting to host in the first round. I mean, look at the look at the craziness of this. What are the chances? Uh, and, I mean, you can argue, I guess, the NFC West is the best NFC division right now. I would say that's probably correct. Um, only coming in maybe second to NFC North. I, yeah, I, I would say that. Um, look at it this way. You have the Seahawks and the 49ers. The 49ers right now, after the Seahawks won last night and they lost to the Ravens, the, the 49ers, as good as they've been all season, it, they're a wild card team right now. Yeah. They are the fifth seed. At and 10 think about it this and way, 2 with, on the year. And with Minnesota's loss, the Rams are sneaking up on Minnesota. I can't remember a day or a playoff or a season that three teams in one division made the playoff, and I think we're as close as possible to that happening right now. Yeah, we, we very well what might have that circumstance happening. I do remember, I believe it was back in 06, the uh, Bengals won the NF, the AFC North, and the Steelers and the Ravens got the two wildcard spots. Uh, but it's very rare that three teams from the same division make the postseason. That certainly could be the case in the uh, NFC West this year. Uh, looking elsewhere around the uh, National Football League uh, from this past weekend, uh, Ron Rivera gets fired after uh, the Panthers uh, lost to Washington 29-21. to The R-Words get the victory off of Darius Geist running for 129 yards and two touchdowns. Kyle Allen had a good stretch there for a while, but he's been so up and down. Um but listen, they've been without Cam Newton all year. Kyle Allen, I think you got the most out of him that you could possibly get out of Kyle Allen. And they're 5-7. and seven. That's not Ron Rivera's fault. He took this team to a Super Bowl. Think about Cam Newton, how much it, that he's fallen off since that Super Bowl. The fact that Ron Rivera got that team to the Super Bowl there deserves a lot of credit. I think this was a bad firing, and somebody next year is going to get a good head coach in Ron Rivera. Tom, I've always said, I don't like when my team fires or, or uh, hires a fired coach, but there are exceptions to the rule when it's somebody that should not have been fired. In this case, Ron Rivera should not have been fired. Somebody is going to get themselves a very good head coach in Ron Rivera next season. And the way it plays out, if the Eagles were to come back and take the division from the Cowboys, which is not ruled out just yet, I don't know who the Cowboys have to play left, but I know they uh, I know they play the Rams. I know that's on the schedule. It isn't Dallas, though. Um, if, if Dallas somehow right now, I mean, they, they obviously kind of have control of that division, but at the same time, the Eagles could sneak their way back in. I don't think it'll happen, uh, but and by all means, I think Cowboy fans would be happy if they fired Jason Garrett and hired Ron Rivera. Uh, I think that would be maybe – Ron Rivera would look good in Dallas Blue and White. Um, 
But legitimately, okay, let's look at other head coaches around the league. Dolphins coach should be done. Uh, Brian Flores? No, he's won three games this year. They've done better than everybody thought. Brian Flores is going to be back. They just beat the Eagles. Oh, oh, I mean, okay, just look at the bottom tier teams, okay? Uh, Dolphins were obviously the first come to mind besides the Bengals, and I think their coach is first-year head coach. Yeah, Zach Taylor, I don't think he's getting fired. I think he's going to be back. Right, right. Um, I mean, by all means, I think Browns fans would rather have Ron Rivera than Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, I think Freddie Kitchens is certainly on the hot seat. That seat got a little warmer with losing to the Steelers. Um, Duck Hodges, losing to a third-string quarterback in Duck Hodges. Uh, Freddie Kitchens has got to be gone, you imagine. Um, with that circumstance, Baker Mayfield probably have his, what, fourth head coach in three seasons, if it uh, works out that way. Um, the Steelers, though, now they're 7-5 and five, somehow. And Mike Tomlin, you can guarantee he's going to be back next year. He's going to be a candidate for coach of the year with what he's done with that group. Should Steelers be. in uh, in wild card position right now. Um, n- nobody thinks the Steelers are going to make any noise in the AFC playoffs. But just for them to sit at seven and five, you think about last year's group was so talented and they were nine and seven. And this group is somehow seven and five. Um, great job by the Steelers to be where they're at at this point in the season. Jones, I mean, I don't think it goes without saying that you could see the first round matchup be between both your teams in Kansas City. Yeah, you, you could. Uh, I, I think that the Chiefs just don't want to play the uh, Tennessee Titans at this point in time with. Uh, as much uh, pain the Titans have given them, the Titans are also at seven and five on the year, and are certainly not out of playoff contention either. Um, they could still uh, get one of those playoff spots as well uh, at this point in time. Uh, you mentioned the Browns uh, and Baker Mayfield and company in that situation. There, um, it, it's very obvious, and they got worked on the offensive line and defensive line against. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, that's what's kept them in these games this year, Tom, is that offensive and defensive line. In, in Cleveland's case, they had the skill position talent. They had the quarterback. They got some good defensive players, but they are so lacking on that offensive and defensive line. That's where it starts in this league. You want to know why San Francisco is so good this year, although they might not have the skill position players other than Kittle and company? It's because they might have the best offensive line in the National Football League. The Browns have no strength up front, and it's cost them football games. I think that's, besides Freddie Kitchens, personnel-wise, that's the main reason why they're 5-7. and seven. I can see that. Uh, I, I mean, no offensive line gives no, you know, Baker no time to throw. Uh, I mean, Odell Beckham just had the longest stretch in his career without a 100-yard receiving game. Uh, I mean, you could, you could have Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, uh, you could bring back Calvin Johnson and Jerry Rice and put them on that team and have four Hall of Famers, um, you know, in the wide receiving corps. But if you don't have an offensive line, Baker's not going to be able to throw the ball to him. It's not going to matter. Uh, and, and that's just what it comes down to. I, I mean, offensive linemen, if you want to talk about don't get enough credit, you can just go ahead and look, example A in the dictionary, of what not having – or, you know, to be brash here, what what having a shitty offensive line will do to your team, even if it's the Browns. If this Browns team had Dallas Cowboys, you know, from however many, 
they had their offensive line from a couple years ago when DeMarco Murray had all those yards, uh, this team would look a whole hell of a lot different. Oh, my gosh. One of the uh, Speaking of that good line of the uh, 49ers that we mentioned there, they lose to the Ravens 20-17, to and uh, the Ravens, after dominating teams week after week, they kind of come down to earth a little bit, but they still won. They still got it done in that rainy game of some sorts there. Uh, the, the Niners at 10-2 and two at this point in the year, being outside of the division with the Seahawks having that tiebreaker from winning the head-to-head game, um, the, the, I think it is it time, Tom, to be concerned about Jimmy G. He was 15 and 21, 161 yards, only one touchdown. He hasn't played great the last couple of weeks there. Um, we know the run game's good. We know the defense is good, but the quarterback has kind of been struggling the last couple of bits. Do you think Jimmy G is going to figure it out? Or do you think this is going to be a problem that continues for San Francisco is uh, that quarterback position with Jimmy G? You know, they've only lost two games. And and we we talked about we talked about this uh, with Brady a couple weeks ago on this show that and I'm not comparing Jimmy G to Brady. The only thing they really have in common is obviously Brady was his mentor for however long. But at the same time, you know that game against the Ravens, rainy, so rainy, uh, hard to do really do anything, and and that's probably why the score was as low as it was. Honestly, uh, could have been those teams if. Both put up high point totals, and I think if they could see each other in the Super Bowl again, that's how good both these two teams are. Uh, and as, as far as Jimmy G goes, you know, look at it this way. He's not Tom Brady. He's not going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. And I'm not wouldn't say he's Alex Smith level. I think he's better than that. He's not. He's more than a game manager, and he's shown that. I think, you know, you struggle for a couple weeks – and you get right back on the horse and you keep riding it. And I, I think maybe this is a little stretch for Jimmy G right now that he'll have to work through. It's kind of like shoot or shoot. You get out there and you miss the first 10 shots. Great shooters keep shooting. And I think for Jimmy G, that's what he's going to have to do. Right. And it's still a lot of time left, still early of some sorts, that we get another month before the postseason begins. Maybe he works through these next couple of weeks, and then we're talking about Jimmy B, Jimmy G being back to where he uh, needs to be. As far as Baltimore goes with that win, Lamar Jackson, another good game, despite the rain and everything that went with that. The the players on this squad, from Mark Ingram running the football to Justice Hill behind him to those receivers with you know Mark Andrews and, and uh, Marquise Brown and company here, th- this offense is so lethal and so legit that – you know, 20 points was an off day and still good enough for a win. The defense did its job. Now they're the number one seed in the AFC. Tom, I have every reason to think that they're going to hold on to that one seed at this point in time, that New England, they'll probably slip up before the season ends. The Chiefs are a bit too far behind. Houston's a bit too far behind. The Ravens with, what is it, four games left now? That's probably your one seed in the AFC now. Yeah, you have to think so. I mean, they would already have the tiebreaker uh, with the Patriots and just the way they've been playing it. Uh, you, you know, as far as the Ravens go, the the stretch that they've put together it, is kind of baffling. I wouldn't call it – I like to compare college and NFL, if you haven't noticed, but kind of like what Baylor has done this year. You don't expect it from the Ravens. Uh, I mean, I don't think, really think anybody did. 
I, I, not at least to what they've done so far. Maybe, you know, midway through the season, okay, you have a good midway through the season, but they've continued to do it week in and week out. Uh, they have underrated offensive weapons. Lamar Jackson's still playing out of his mind, getting the job done. Hasn't faltered. Hasn't fell. Uh, I wouldn't even call the Ravens bend, don't break, because they haven't really even bent. Uh, and and so for the Ravens, what they've like I said, what they've been able to do this year it surprised me the way Baylor surprised me, and would not be shocked if this team goes to the Super Bowl, especially you know after what they went through with the Joe Flacco thing, and you know they said okay, well we'll put Lamar Jackson in. Let's trade our Super Bowl winning quarterback Joe Flacco because he's not doing, you know, what he's expected to do. Let's go ahead and trade him to the Broncos. Roll with Lamar Jackson, a quarterback who coming into the league was told that he should transfer to wide receiver. Uh, pretty awesome football story there, Jones. Yeah, a very awesome football story for the Ravens to be in this position that they are. The Patriots fall to the Texans on Sunday night football. 28-22, to 22. Patriots fall to 10-2. and two. The Texans move up to 8-4. and four. Deshaun Watson had four touchdown passes. Uh, the Patriots, I felt like Tom Brady played all right. He had over 300 yards. He had three touchdowns, but yet it still wasn't enough. They got off to a slow start to this game uh, as the Texans really jumped on them early in this one, and uh, it was just kind of too much ground to make up. I think that that's what you're going to see if you're going to beat New England. You're going to have to jump on them quick and hope that you've jumped out to a big enough lead where it's insurmountable of some sorts. And that's kind of what Houston did on uh, on Sunday night, taking care of business. Not surprising, New England struggles against these mobile quarterbacks. They lost to Lamar. They lose to Deshaun now. Um, it was a road game and such. I, I don't think that that game, Tom, was surprising, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily concerning either. For New England, you lost to a good team on the road, to a good mobile quarterback and Deshaun. Um, I mean, maybe you get a little nervous, I don't know, but in actuality, I don't think that loss is that huge of a deal other than just losing the number one seed. Other than that, as far as team confidence goes, I don't think it changes a whole lot just based on that one loss for New England. No, I don't think it does either, and I guess maybe the only thing that could be of con some concern is, okay, so let's look at the two teams that we've lost to, the Ravens and the and the Texans. Let's look at the quarterbacks, both mobile. Who's coming to Foxborough this week? The Kansas City Chiefs. Who's a mobile quarterback? Pretty mobile. Not as mobile as Lamar Deshaun. Right, he throws on the run, the but he's not going to go you know, run 20 yards at a time himself down the field. He's, he, he's more mobile than most, though, and I think maybe it, as good as this Patriots defense was to start off the season, as good as they were, is this the, you know, the is this the kryptonite? Is it a mobile quarterback? Uh, could be. Uh, you know, I think with a coach like Andy Reid, I, I think if I can see that, and if you could probably see that, then I think Andy Reid probably sees that. I wouldn't be surprised to see Patrick Mahomes do a little bit more moving, uh, you know, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, you can extend the play against that Patriots defense. It's going to break down at some point. I would go as far to say that the Ravens defense is probably a little bit better than the Chiefs. I don't know as far as the Texans go. Right. Um, but with that being said, 
I could see, I mean, maybe for that alone, that maybe Patrick Mahomes moves a little bit more this weekend uh, than he's used to just because maybe that's the secret ingredient to beating Bill Belichick. Have a mobile quarterback, you know, add another kink in the machine that maybe that they can't account for. And uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked, Jones, this weekend. We'll make the picks later. But wouldn't be shocked if uh, Kansas City adds that sugar and spice into their game plan this weekend. Yeah, I can see that as well. Uh, the Texans getting that win, Tom, it, it's it's always big when you beat New England, home or away. Uh, impressive win. But I still cannot get over how bad they looked against Baltimore a couple weeks ago. The way they got just run out of the building there. The Texans are going to win the AFC South. Um, you know they're they're a good football team, eight and four and everything. Nice win against New England, but that game against Baltimore, I still can't get out of my head. I don't think that they're a serious threat to win the AFC as long as Baltimore is still there. They're they're going to have to have some help. I I don't see any way they beat Baltimore. If Houston's going to somehow come out of the AFC, somebody's going to have to move Baltimore out of the way for them. Oh, of, of course. I mean, I think you could say that for uh, all the rest of the teams besides, you know, the Patriots and, and the Chiefs. Uh, and I say the Chiefs because they'd already, the Chiefs has already, you know, have beat them. That was earlier in the season. But and, and what was really an underrated game as far as games go this season, if you want to look back at some great games, that Chiefs-Ravens game uh, was a great one. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if those two teams see each other in the postseason as well. So uh, that being said, Houston, they're going to have to have a lot of teams moved out of their way for them to win the AFC. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Last one uh, to look back on Monday night, the Seahawks uh, take down the Vikings 37-30. to And uh, the Seahawks got off to a slow start, but they outscored the Vikings 17 to nothing in the third quarter in route to their 10th win of the season and move ahead to the number two seed in the NFC. Good win for the Seahawks. That's a legit team. They're loaded on both sides of the ball. The Legion of Boom, I don't know if it's necessarily quite back per se, but it's the best it's been in a while. The uh, Seahawks offense, Russell Wilson, is playing right behind Lamar Jackson. He's probably the number two quarterback in that MVP race. Very good win for Seattle. That team's legit. Minnesota. Eight and four, they lose. Kirk Cousins loses on Monday Night Football for the ninth straight time. He's never won on Monday night. He doesn't win primetime games, doesn't win very much against good teams, uh, per se. Uh, I was not surprised with anything that occurred on Monday night. And these teams both kind of, I would say the Seahawks are better than we expected them to be this year. The Vikings are probably about who we thought that they would be at this point in time. Um, the Seahawks are one of those teams that um, I think that, you know, right now at that number two seed, it would not surprise me if they win the NFC. I also could see them with as good as the NFC is with, we mentioned the Niners, the Saints, um, you know, these teams out there, um, you know, the Packers as well. This could be a team that ends up getting knocked out of the first round because there's so much depth in the NFC, there's probably at least four teams out of the NFC right now that could get to the Super Bowl at this point in time. I agree with you. I think the Seahawks could, you know, they, they could make it to the Super Bowl with, with the with the capability of Pete Carroll and uh, what Russell Wilson's been able to do this year. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked 
uh, if they did. It's the Seahawks, typical Seahawks fashion. Just when you think the Legion of Boom is dead and last season Earl Thomas breaks his whole leg and rides off on the cart and flips off the whole city of Seattle, and you think, oh, the Legion of Boom's done. We're going to, you know, it's the 49ers and the Rams now in the NFC West and time for the Seahawks to take a back seat. Just when you think that's going to happen. Pete Carroll just figures something out, does something, works his little. He's like the, he's like a poor man's Bill Belichick. He just, I don't know what he, I, he almost looks like he could be on a Netflix show about making meth somewhere in the in the foothills of the mountains that are in and around Seattle, um, Mount Rainier. And I mean, that's the type of guy he looks like. Chews gum like he's on amphetamine. I, what, I don't know how, how else I can talk trash against Pete Carroll, but he's Mount Helena coach. is exploding a volcano, and and uh, Pete Carroll's just sitting there cooking up meth. He's chewing his gum, chewing his trident layers as fast as he can go through ah. a pack. Uh, I mean, the man's teeth, I mean, he grits his teeth so much. I Probably, if I don't know if he has dentures or not, but he has to go through at least at least one pair, at least one pair of dentures a season. What do you think happens more often in a game, Tom? Jason Garrett claps or Pete Carroll chews gum? Uh, it's got to be, you know, and it has to be, just the way, as, as fast as he chews it. You know, I... What do you think he chews? He's chewed? almost like... Is he going to be like a double bubble guy or juicy fruit, or do you think he's like, a, a, I don't know, like a, a big red? Trident mint. I think it's trident mint. Okay. I, I it has to be. He's like the he's like the the NFL's Dana Holgerson. Okay. A little as healthier. As far as just very, right? Yeah, a little healthier. As far as like on the field, v looking very anxious. I could go on and on about Pete Carroll. I think they should make a. Uh, how in the hell has he not had a gum commercial? Right. Le LeBron James had his own lightning lemonade, and they can't give Pete Carroll one damn Trident commercial. What? Right. You know what's the uh, what's the bubble gum that's the uh, for a good clean mouthfeel? Orbit. Orbit. Not one Orbit commercial. Yeah, that's disappointing. Not one juicy fruit commercial, not one, not one. This is almost as bad as Chad Henney not having a sponsorship with Hennessy. This is how bad this Chad is. Chad Henney's in, in all in all seriousness, though, Pete Carroll has been a hell of a coach, and for him being in the division that my team's in, I'll be so glad when he calls it quits, uh, because he has just been a pain in my ass for a long time. Uh, I, I remember when he left USC, people are like. You, you you cheated at USC, and you got fired twice in the NFL. Let's see if you can really coach in the National Football League. And sure enough, he can really coach uh, with what he's done there in Seattle. Last question real quick. Let, let's spend about 60 seconds on this, Tom. Finish this sentence. The best team in the NFC right now is? The New Orleans Saints. Okay. I am going to have to agree with you as well. I like the Saints as well, but I don't say that confidently. I think that there's room no, neither do for I. other teams as well. We mentioned like four other teams right now. Um, I think that the Saints are very good, but I think that th this NFC has a lot of parity as it stands right now. A lot more to come here on the Jones Report today. Coming up in just a little while from right now, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week, plus our college football and NFL picks against the spread as well. But coming up next... 
Taylor Kaufman joins us next as we'll get her insights from Springfield. We'll head to the Ozarks with Taylor Kaufman coming up on the other side, right here on the Jones Report. Joining us now here on the Jones Report this week from the Ozarks covering the fantastic sports scene down there. It is Kansas City native and KU grad Taylor Kaufman who joins us on the Jones Report this week. Taylor, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and uh, and being with us on the program this week. What's happening? Hey, Tyler. Yeah, no, things things are good down here in Springfield. It's, uh, it's a nice uh, day midway through the week, but we have some Lady Bears basketball coming up tonight. You know, they... They keep me busy down here. That's great. That's great to see. Uh, Taylor, tell <laughs> us about your background. How did you end up in uh, in Springfield there uh, where, where you're at and, and uh, that area? Such a, a great part of the country. Uh, that southwest uh, Missouri is, uh, is terrific and uh, all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. Actually, you know, to be honest, Springfield wasn't really on my radar. Um, but I love it down here. And there's, there's a lot of good sports and – you know, I'm a huge basketball fan, as you said. I'm a KU grad, and both my parents went to KU, so I was kind of brought up a big KU basketball fan. So there's really good basketball down here. But, yes, yeah, so I graduated from KU, and then the first job I got out of school was in Rapid City, South Dakota, which was um, an interesting change of pace, and then spent two years up there and then was looking for kind of the next move up. And Springfield was on the radar and, you know, it was like I could go anywhere. My idea of anywhere wasn't necessarily Springfield, Missouri, because it was so close to home. But, you know, like I said, it's been it's been awesome. I've been here for two years now, and I'm looking at staying for another year. So for the foreseeable future, looks like I'm going to be down here. That's fantastic. And uh, you're, you're getting to see all sorts of stuff. Uh, that, that scene down there, you have, of course, you're right in the heart of, uh, of the Ozarks with some great schools like, you know, Evangels there, uh, Ozarks, Missouri State, of course. And, and then mm-hmm. you're not far from St. Louis and Kansas City with, uh, of course, you know, the Cardinals and Royals and Blues and Chiefs and, and everything, too. I mean, there's, there's so much going on that you guys have to cover for, for your region down there. Right. It's wild. And honestly, I went to my first NHL game last season. I went to the Blues Stars game seven, which was awesome. But yeah, and then I got to cover it too. So I got to go as a fan and then I got to cover it. So, I mean, there is a lot, like you said, of different things. There's a lot of Cardinals fans here, um, more so than Royals because we have a double A team down here. So I got to talk to Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and just cool things like that but then like you said on top of that there's the huge like high school sports scene and our viewing area basically goes halfway to memphis and then over to joplin and then you know almost up kind of near st louis so we have like a really big viewing area of high schools that we cover but it's yeah it's it's been a lot of fun and we I, i like to think we do a pretty good job with three of us on air people going out with cameras and getting things done and we have a an ozone sports show once a week so we have 30 minutes where we basically rehash all of our like primarily local high school sports so we keep ourselves busy 
That's for sure. That sounds like it. And uh, you mentioned the uh, Blues getting to see them win the Stanley Cup and everything that went along with that. How cool was it to to experience that, especially considering you said that was your first ever hockey game was that season and to see what they did there? I mean, uh, even even on this side, you know, of of Missouri, you know, in Kansas City and even to to Kansas where I'm at, people were were hyped about what the Blues did. I mean, terrific run uh, out of nowhere, really, for a team. Team that was in what last place at one point in the season last year yep. that'd be pretty cool yeah last place at the start of January it, it's just wild and you know everybody loves an underdog especially you know up Kansas City people but that's what we that's what we know you know with the Royals and the Chiefs and um you know things like that so I mean it doesn't surprise me that Kansas City people were you know on board the Blues train um but yeah no it, it was so much fun and and going and just seeing that huge of an atmosphere, like the Enterprise Center was packed and everybody was watching. Like they didn't take their eyes off the ice, which is wild because you go to like basketball games and football games and people are like, you know, talking to each other, looking around like, no, every, like every slap shot, every, everything, just people were just on the edge of their seats. And I don't think I've ever been to a sporting event like that. It was it was crazy. That was the Dallas game. But then, yeah, covering – I wasn't there for um, the Blues when they won it, actually. But, you know, of course I was watching it, and then the Stanley Cup made its way through Springfield, and that was fun, too. So, yes, it's it's cool. No doubt, no doubt about that. That's uh, that's awesome, to, to say the least, that you got to experience that. Uh, with, with you being a big KC sports fan, with you know, the Royals, Chiefs, uh, KU and such, what, what are some of your favorite memories come to mind of, uh, of those teams over the years and, and seeing uh, what they've done, especially now you, you look at where the Chiefs are at, how far they've come, and, and uh, where the Royals were at just a couple of years ago. I, I think we've been kind of spoiled around here of uh, what we've seen uh, from, from our area teams. In the, in the last several years no absolutely actually um so 2014 I was a senior um at KU for the World Series um so I I saw it kind of as a student but then 2015 I had to move away that's when I was in South Dakota so I was watching the World Series in South Dakota with you know people that don't really care about the Royals but it was still so cool to me because I was at a Fox station and, you know, the World Series was on Fox, so I didn't have to, like, go on air and miss it. I got to watch the whole game before I went on air. So it's kind of like not a traditional KC sports fan watching the World Series, but, no, I totally agree. We've, we've gotten completely spoiled, and, you know, watching the Chiefs has been – it's been crazy, man. Like, you know, I, I will say – I don't feel like this year feels the same as last year for some reason. I don't know if it's because last year was just new, like <laughs> the teeth are good. What? But um, I don't know. I don't know what feels, feels different about it. I hope they, you know, they get it done the same way last year and maybe come out on the other end in the AFC championship. But, you know, time will tell with that. Yeah, I think this weekend will be a big test when they take on New England to see where this team is uh, really at with that 8-4 and four record, how they fare with uh, the uh, number two team in the AFC right now uh, with that uh, Patriots team. Should be fun to see how that ultimately shakes out. Let's start with the uh, Chiefs there, uh, where they stand right now. I know it's been kind of an up-and-down season of sorts, but now you have most of that squad healthy. You had the bye week a couple weeks ago, and now this team is 
one win away from locking up the division. They're still technically in contention for one of those uh, first-round buys of some sorts. With all that's happened, I don't think this is terrible shape, terrible position that the Chiefs are in uh, for the rest of the way. Everything is still in front of this team. They can still accomplish everything that uh, they can possibly want uh, this season, uh, despite all that's kind of happened, uh, this roller coaster of a season of some, some sorts. Right. No, totally. And honestly, this New England game, you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't beat Tom Brady yet. He's 0 for 2 against the guy. Um, But, you know, he's got kind of a chip on his shoulder now, I feel like. And those games, they were close ones both times they played. So I think, I don't know, that will be a tough one, um, especially coming off the Raiders where it almost seemed too easy for Kansas City. But I don't know. Yeah, I think they're in a pretty good spot. And the the teams they have left, Denver, and then they go to Chicago, and then um, the Chargers at home, which, you know, the home record hasn't been too nice for the Chiefs this year. But um, I think that win against Oakland was huge, you know, getting that win at home um, going into these last four games. And, um, yeah, like you said, I think they're in a pretty good spot. And if they can get the win and Oakland loses, then, you know, they've clinched the West. So that. That would be a big deal. Yeah, it would be. Uh, the run defense has certainly had some issues. You you were at that Texans game, I believe, uh, a, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks back where, uh, I mean, they just got ran over by Carlos Hyde, who, uh, you know, of course, they had just a couple of months ago. Um, and I, I feel like we've seen some improvements, though. I mean, yes, you give up 100 yards to Josh Jacobs uh, against the Raiders, uh, but they contained him for the most part in that second half, contained Dalvin Cook and Melvin Gordon. You had an outlier of a game of some sorts against the Titans with Derrick Henry there, but uh, it, it would seem like that Chris Jones, his presence of when he came back, kind of maybe, do you think it, I guess, uh, you know, turned things around, put things another direction for this defense? Seemed like that he uh, has certainly made a case for a contract extension based on the way he's performed uh, since he came back in the last several weeks. Yeah, man, I I am a big fan of Chris Jones. He, you know, he's just got an energy that I think is contagious. And, you know, even even for me, like interviewing him, he gets me hyped up, you know, <laughs> talking to him in the locker room after the game. He's just so, um, he's just so transparent. And, you know, I'm sure that same energy spreads the rest of his team. And, you know, especially when he plays like that, you know, there's no doubt that everybody else wants to match his level, you know, and yeah, he's, he's had some big games since he's been back and the chiefs were missing him big time when he was out. So, Hopefully he can stay healthy, and it looks like, like you said, the majority of the Chiefs are, you know, getting back healthy again. So that's that's good. I mean, this is the time of year to do it. <laughs> this isn't the time of year you want those injuries to, you know, pop up. So hopefully they can stay healthy. And yeah, Chris Jones, man, he's he's got an energy that. Yeah, he does. He does. And if you look at one of the strengths of this team, uh, you know, Spags took over this group, um, you know, in the offseason, took over this defense. And we wondered if they were going to go from the bottom to at least uh, halfway through this, uh, the, the league defensive standings. If you could get to 15th or 20th at the very least, that would be a significant improvement. And they're there right now. Um, you know, last year's team, if you get to those rankings, we're talking about 
about them being Super Bowl champions with how good their offense was. This year, um, we've seen the defensive improvement, in particular the uh, pass defense that secondary has played very well with the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew there and company. Uh, is there reason to be optimistic, you think? Have you seen enough from this defense to think that they can get it done, that they can be elite when it matters in, in uh, some of these bigger games, Taylor? You know, I, I've kind of thought about it, and I've, they're so inconsistent for me. I just, like, I, I don't know. I, it, it's almost as if people expect Patrick Mahomes to just bail them out on offense, you know, and, and they really do need a complete game. Special teams have showed up big recently, too, in the last couple of games, and um, defense has gotten, you know, some good stops and stuff, and made some big plays, but, you know, I just, you don't see that every week. And I think that's, that's something that they need to work on if they want to, you know, make a trip to the Super Bowl or, you know, win the thing. But, you know, like you said, you can't, you have to be able to play every aspect of the game to be a Super Bowl champion. And ah, hopefully they can do it. There, there's games where it looks like they can, and then sometimes it's just like, what are you guys doing? Right, right. It's a week-to-week league, and uh, I think the Chiefs' defense is the prime example of uh, just that, of how inconsistent things could be. Uh, we mentioned Patrick Mahomes. I know that uh, you know he has had uh, a, a good season overall, but the last couple of weeks haven't been the greatest for Patrick as uh, his completion percentage was just barely over 50% against the Raiders. Uh, the week before that against the Chargers, he, he put together one of the worst performances of his career. But even with that being said, they still put up 40 points last week. Uh, the offense still did its job. Uh, I'm not concerned about what I've seen from him. I know that he's still getting closer to 100% here. Uh, there's, I, I think it's sooner rather than later that we get the elite Patrick Mahomes back. I think that's kind of the, the least of uh, Kansas City's concerns right now. Where, where do you think of what Patrick's played at right now? It's kind of surprising that we've seen this uh, from him the last couple of weeks, but I don't think it's necessarily any reason to be uh, overly cautious, per se. Right, right. Well, and, and we talked about this a little bit before, just about you know the injuries and just how that's kind of been the talk of the season. And, you know, not to get into that, but, like, that is crazy that, you know, he had that ankle thing and then dislocated his knee, and he's back, and people just expect him to be, you know, doing what he did last season. And, he, I mean, he almost is, but I don't know. I think, for me, I said earlier, it, this team just doesn't feel the same this year. And, like, I feel like Mahomes is getting sacked a lot more than last year, but... I mean, if you look at it, he's he's about on par to how many sacks he had. He had he was sacked 26 times last season. He's got 12 this year. So, I mean, honestly, that's about the same. But I feel like he's getting hit so much. I don't know if it's because he's been hurt or what. But um, I don't know. I I think he's gritty, gritty, and I think he's got a lot more left in him this season. I don't think he's. He's ready to turn it in, and he's going to do everything he has to do to to get the Chiefs there 
that he's able to do. Yeah, I think so, too. We're talking to Taylor Kaufman of the Ozarks right now here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, the, the running backs, I know that that position has not been the same since uh, they let go of Kareem Hunt about this time a season ago. But now we, we get the news this week that Spencer Ware is going to join the fold. Darwin Thompson uh, led the team in rushing a week ago, had his first career touchdown Shady McCoy's been kind of on this load management thing of sorts. We've seen it in the NBA, first time we've really seen it in the NFL. <laughs> Damon Williams has been up and down. Uh, this running back by committee, uh, I, I'm intrigued to see how this works going forward of who's going to get these carries. I like Darwin. I think he's the best back in that backfield, but it seems like, Taylor, that Andy Reid's kind of going with a, a running back by committee type thing here, and so far it's worked out just fine to this point. Uh, not great production per se, but good enough at the moment. Right, not great for my uh, fantasy, but <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting what they're doing, and the Chiefs have a ton of running backs, but you just don't know who's going to be that running back that like each game. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It, it is working, and especially when Patrick Mahomes was out and Matt Moore was in and, you know, people were a little uncertain and then you go to the run and, you know, I, I think the Chiefs are just loaded with offensive weapons and, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think it is interesting moving forward to see kind of what happens, who stays, who goes and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Right. How, how do you think this game against uh, New England is going to go this weekend, Taylor? Ah, in Foxborough, that's going to be tough. But, okay, so I, I will tell you, I met Dante Hall about this time last year. He was inducted to the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. And I was just talking to him about Tyreek Hill and just all these crazy, crazy yards he's putting up and all this stuff. And, um, and I asked him if he, he still goes to Chiefs games because he's living in Kansas City, and he says he doesn't miss them. Um, he said he was surprised because, he went to Gillette Stadium um, when they played last year, and he said it's just it's just not the same there. So I I don't know if that will lean in the Chiefs' favor. He said that you know they're just they're just used to winning up there. He's like it's not the same atmosphere. The stadium's not as loud. People like it doesn't even fill up sometimes, you know. And so I don't know if the atmosphere is going to play much of a a role in this game, but. I don't know. I mean, if everyone's healthy and everyone plays their roles, defense, special teams, the offensive line, Patrick Mahomes, everyone, you know, if everyone does their part, I I don't know. I think they can beat the Patriots, even though, you know, their record does maybe otherwise. But I don't know. I think they could do it. That's fascinating insights there, uh, Taylor, uh, about that, about New England. It, it, it makes sense when you think about it, when you've won so much as they have, that these regular season games would be kind of just treated as any other game of some sorts uh, as far as that goes. It makes a lot of sense uh, when you think about it. Uh, but I, I like uh, the Chiefs to, to come out with this one too. Uh, I, I think a good point to reference kind of what you're going back to is that, that ring ceremony night when the Chiefs beat them to open up the season in Alex Smith's final year in Kansas City, it seemed like that it took the Patriots three quarters to even wake up in that football game. That you know, mm-hmm. it was you know a while before that team really caught on. I know the Chiefs ended up you know winning that game, but they came out fast out of that ball game. You have to imagine that in this case, um, the Chiefs have to come out out of the gates firing. If they do so, then they're going to put themselves in a good position. I think. Absolutely, and the Chiefs usually do 
pretty good at that, you know, in the first quarter coming out and scoring, but they definitely need to take the wind out of the Patriots' sails early because, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Tom Brady, he knows how to come back. And if you just get them, get them kind of off their groove a little bit early and just keep doing your thing, keep doing your thing, then, I mean, eventually there's going to be a point where the man can't come back, I would like to think. So, I don't know. And, and it was unfortunate the last time they faced that in overtime, you know, there was the coin toss and the Patriots got the ball. So, I mean, I think things history would be a little different if Patrick Mahomes had the ball in his hands for that final drive in overtime. I think we'd, we'd be looking at a tied, tied Patrick Mahomes-Tom Brady series right now. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. We're talking to Taylor Kaufman here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, Taylor, uh, let's move on. Uh, I know that you don't get to cover Kansas basketball, but with being such a big KU fan, raised uh, like you were, what what do you think of uh, the squad that Bill's got this year and what's going on? Uh, I I was impressed with what they did down there in in Maui, winning that uh, Maui Invitational. Yeah, and honestly, I, I was surprised to hear that this was only the third time they've won the Maui Invitational. Um, and Yudoka Azubuki, I mean, it was his game in overtime, which I think Kansas fans like to see that because, you know, he was hurt a lot of last year. And then also he's a big guy, but he, he doesn't always play the game you think he should. Um, but yeah, no, he, he had a huge game. And then of course, Dawson, uh, with a career high 31 points that, that was awesome. I think they just looked really good and I don't know if it's because you know the teams they've played so far this season um Bill Self always does a good job scheduling tournaments and stuff like that to get them ready for the Big 12 play but yeah I I think they looked pretty good and unfortunately you know in this business you don't always get to watch all of the games um I have to cover other games a lot of times while they're on I I try to punch record if I remember it but um, yeah, so I, I caught a couple of them. I watched the Duke game on recording and wish I hadn't, but, um, <laughs> of course that's the first game of the season and basketball is basketball. Things change and Duke just lost to, you know, the team they lost to this week. So, or last week. So, I mean, it's basketball things happen. It's right. wild. It is. It is. Uh, 28 turnovers that night uh, was something that, yeah, that you, you probably want to – that gets deleted off the DVR pretty quickly, I, w- <laughs> I would guess, uh, based on what, what that happened in that performance. But you, you, you saw Devontae and Frank, what they did at their time at KU, just how great those guys were and just led this team from that point guard position. Both of them did. I'm looking at Devon Taylor and what, what he's done. This is year two. He's just a sophomore. I think he's further along at this point in time than what those guys were. They turned out to be you know All-American players. Frank was National Player of the Year. His progress right now, I don't know if, if Devon's going to be there all four years like those guys were, but uh, his progress right now, he, he's looking like he's going to be one of the best uh, guards that Bill's ever had, and he's had f- very good guards over the years. He seems like that he's right among some of the best right now already at this point in his career. Oh, that's a hot take right there. He's had a lot of good guards going through, but no, um, I agree. I think uh, you know, the Jayhawks are always looking for a leader. Every year it's like, who, we need a leader. We need a leader. And I think, you know, as far as statistics go, Devon Dobson, he's leading the team and um, averaging 19.7 points per game. He has the most points. He has the most assists, 15 steals, and he, he has the most minutes on the floor. 
So I think Bill is looking at him to be that leader just because he's played the most. You know, he wants him out there. He he feels comfortable with him. And I think KU fans are going to feel more comfortable with him as the season goes on. And, you know, like you said, if he stays here all four years, he's only a sophomore, you know. So he's got plenty of time to to kind of fill that role of a leader and just kind of make KU fans feel more comfortable with him out on the floor. Right, right. It'll be uh, fun to see what what he puts together. Did did you get a chance to watch much of uh, Kansas football this year and see Les's first year in Lawrence? I know that, uh, of course, you had the ESPN Plus show all season long of going follow along this football program. What did you make of year one of uh, Les and Lawrence? You know, it's it's crazy, and I don't know if I think this is something I'm just now realizing, but. People want to play for a coach that, you know, is, is exciting and is just kind of knows his stuff and he, he's all in on the program. You know, like I've, I've seen it a lot where, you know, I mean, if you look back at Charlie White, he, he just kind of was collecting a paycheck and nobody went to the games. They lost. I don't even know how most of their games, almost all of their games when Charlie Weiss was there and there was no hype around the program, but, and then Bill Self, you know, he's, he's a people pleaser, not people pleaser. He's a, he's a charmer and he does a good job getting people excited. People like him, but they don't even know him, but they think they know him because he's so outgoing and approachable. But then, you know, when you get less miles in there and he's, he's kind of doing the same thing and, He's kind of building the hype around the program, and I think I don't. I think that makes all the difference in the world. To be honest, um, I mean, they have more wins than they've had in a while um, with less, and he's getting recruits. People want to play for him, and so I think you know this is a really good first year, first look at Les Miles at Kansas. I I hope he sticks around because he's going to bring in some talent, and kids want to play for him, and. You know, hopefully uh, you can beat K-State one of these years and, uh, you know, get get going in that direction. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, you mentioned how well that high school football scene is down where you're at. I think he, Les and company, would be mistaken if, if they don't look at that area of, uh, you know, southwest Missouri for some kids down there and uh, to possibly, you know, just make the short drive up to Lawrence and to be a part of this football program. A lot of talent in uh, Kansas and Missouri and, you know, this part of the country that uh, could be a part of KU's future uh, as far as that goes. we got a couple more minutes left with you, Taylor, so uh, a couple more things before we let you go here. Uh, t- tell me about Springfield. What what are some of the things that you're doing just in, in your spare time and free time out there? I mean, that is such a unique area of, uh, you know, a beautiful part of uh, of the Midwest. And then uh, not to mention you got Branson not too far away either, too. I mean, there's got to be a lot to do in, uh, in the rare off days that you do have. Right. No, definitely. Um, after moving to South Dakota, I kind of, started to enjoy hiking because it was just beautiful out there. I was, I was right up next to Wyoming, so I was on the far west side of the state. And so I learned to really love hiking, and I moved down here, and um, turns out there's a lot of really good hiking in this area, too. Just a short jaunt south, and you're in Arkansas, and there's some pretty, pretty hiking trails and stuff down there. And so I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, honestly, I go to a lot of Springfield Cardinals games over the summer when I'm not working, 
it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And like you said, it's close to Kansas City, St. Louis. I, I, like I said, been able to go catch a Blues game, catch a game at Bush Stadium, um, you know, things like that. There's, there's a lot around this area. And then, of course, the lakes, um, fishing, and then just going out on the boat. Um, so there's a lot to offer down here. And one thing I'm looking forward to this, this winter, every year, this, the Tournament of Champions. And I actually got to see David McCormick when he was playing, um, I think it's Oak Hill. Um, as a senior, he came, at the tur- or came to the tournament. And that's something that is fun every winter. Um, it's basically all of the best high school academies and teams come to Springfield. And it's, it's televised, um, I think, on ESPN, the championship game. But we had James Wiseman here last year, too. And, you know, there's, I, I don't know if it's because I'm paying attention to it, but there's a lot of fun sports stuff going on down here kind of all year round. And, you know, being a sports person, I, I really like that part of it. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I got to tell you, Taylor, and you probably get this a lot, but – my favorite thing about Springfield, Missouri, and, and we went there so many times growing up because we did vacations in Branson and such, being from Tulsa and everything. Uh, I cannot go to Lambert's enough in Springfield. Uh, I have not. My claim to fame with Lambert's is not once have I dropped a roll, a hot roll that's been thrown to me. That's, that's pretty impressive. That's, I went there actually for the first time in the last like six months, and I didn't know what I was missing out on. But yeah, they they just keep keep the sides coming. It's just wild. <laughs> I don't know how anyone leaves there with any room in their stomach. It's just insane. And then you have leftovers, and it, it's like uh, a, a Southerner's Thanksgiving of some sorts because you, you got food for like three days after you've eaten at Lambert's uh, just to get rid of. Uh, I am impressed. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, Taylor. The next time I'm in Springfield, uh, we're, we're, we got to go to Lambert's. Uh, I mean, because that will definitely be on my agenda when uh, whenever I come through next. Uh, that that is that, that's got to happen. All right, pocket some rolls. Rolls yes. for the road. Yes, <laughs> we'll make it happen. Uh, Taylor, appreciate the time. Uh, where can people connect with you and see uh, all the great work you're doing? Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter, underscore Taylor Kaufman, spelled like the Royals, no relation, unfortunately. Um, and then I have a professional Facebook page. You just search Taylor Kaufman. Um, and email is always always a good option, too, just tkaufman at ky3.com. I think uh, you own the uh, Royals more than uh, than uh, this uh, than John Sherman does. You know, with the, with the name and everything, and you being a, a long fan, you, you might have more rights than uh, John Sherman does. Uh, right? His, Come on, man. His wallet may say otherwise, but you know what? We we keep it real here uh, on the Georgia Sport. Taylor, appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Big thanks to Taylor Kaufman for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Let's go ahead and get to our college football and NFL picks against the spread this week. It is championship week in college football. We'll pick the Power 5 Conference Championship games and then pick five NFL games after that. And if you look at the slate, both of them, Tom, it is a dandy. And in the National Football League, it feels like a championship week of sorts there, too, as we could be seeing maybe an AFC championship and an NFC championship preview this week with that 49ers Saints and Chiefs Patriots game. Just good football all weekend long. Do not leave that couch this weekend. 
No joke. This is one of the better weeks in in a long time, and not obviously for the slate of games because it is championship week, and 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 the NFL has some pretty good games too. But just the lines are very, you know, when picking against the spread, it's one thing to pick straight up. It's another to look at the spread and realize, hey, this is a lot tougher than past weeks. And, and this feels almost like a make-or-break week. I'm one game behind Billy. You might be in last place, but you're. we looked at the, you know, what it was last year, and we were in very different places last year. Um as far as number of games won and lost, but uh, this feels like a make-or-break week. I mean, it's still, you're 10 games back. I'm one game off Billy. So, essentially, you know, you're 10 games back from the lead. This is a make-or-break week uh, for, I think, just about everybody. Yeah, a lot on the line this week. Uh, We'll make the most of it what we can. We'll pick five college games five pro football games, and then uh, next week is uh, one of the most unique weeks of the season, Tom. It's the only time we pick nine NFL games and one college football game. That'll be Army-Navy next week, so look forward to that. But right now, let's go ahead and start with the college football slate, the Power Five Conference Championship game, starting with the SEC Championship between number four Georgia and number two LSU. Tom, this is pretty much a playoff game. When you're talking about two top four teams facing off in the last week of the regular season, LSU a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. LSU has had an outstanding season. A lot of folks are talking about Georgia possibly winning this game, and then they get into the playoff along with LSU as well. Tom, I think that LSU, if they compete in this game, they're in the playoff. The only way they don't get in the playoff is if it's ugly, they get blown out, and which I just don't see happening here. I think LSU, though, is going to win. They're going to take care of business and you know lock up one of those top two seats in the playoff. But I think Georgia's going to hang it around and make it a close game. I like Georgia to cover at seven and a half. I like Georgia to cover as well. Uh, and, and you broke it down, uh, I believe, before you know the first segment that we did. On, on how close LSU, you know, wins against top-tier teams were. And, and it's not discrediting uh, LSU by any means. You had also brought up Auburn, how close their wins were, and they got the job done. Um, so I think if Georgia does win this game, I think they do get the fourth spot. I mean, if you look at the standings now, they're at in the fourth spot currently. Um, and I think, obviously, they would move up if they beat LSU uh, at least one one spot there, and, and then even LSU could still win. I, I think for anybody but SEC fans, that's the darkest timeline. Um, I will go ahead and take Georgia, though, uh, for reasons previously mentioned, and that I think that this game will be a lot closer uh, than that spread. Do you have LSU winning the game, though, or do you think Georgia's going to win it outright, too? I For what it is, I will have LSU still winning the game. I think they can, I think they pull off by Three, four, five, something, something in that range. Not, not more than the spread, though. Obviously, right, right. I'm with you there. I think we're in agreement as far as that goes. The Big Twelve Championship, number seven Baylor taking on number six Oklahoma. This game going to be played in Arlington, Texas, at Jerry World. Oklahoma, a nine point favorite. They won this game in Waco just a couple weeks ago. 
by a very close margin as they were down at one point, 28-3, came back to win that game uh, in the final minutes on the road in uh, Waco there. OU at nine points, Tom. I think OU's going to walk in, and they're going to play determined football. They know what they have in front of them. They know what they need to do to try to make the college football playoff at this point in time. I think they're a much more talented team than Baylor is. Um, and they improved quickly again against Oklahoma State. They looked a much better team than they were even just a couple weeks ago. I think OU's going to come in, and i like them to win by double digits. I think that they'll get this done, and double digits would mean covering nine. So I like the Sooners in this one to cover that nine-point margin. And I, and I think the Sooners know what they have to do as well, and I don't think they're going to – they're, for what it's worth, it's not to discredit the season Baylor's had, but I, I think OU knows exactly what they have in front of them, and I know what they have to do. And, and as great as a coach as Matt Rule is this year, I think Lincoln Riley's going to go ahead and outsmart him here. I like OU by more than nine as well. I, I think they could go ahead and cover, though, late. And I know you mentioned style points that you didn't like them, uh, but I think even now, even if you don't like them, I think the college football committee, I don't think it would hurt to have a few style points for OU. So I don't think they're going to let off the gas by any means. Yeah, um, not going to be one of these games we've seen from OU the last couple of weeks where they haven't played a complete football game. That Oklahoma State game they did, but before that, where they played three solid quarters and let off the gas in the fourth or slow start in the first and then play three more solid quarters. Uh, I think you'll see a complete football game from OU. I'm with you there. The Pac-12 championship. This game will be on Friday night as number 13 Oregon takes on number 5 Utah. This game in Santa Clara, the home of the 49ers. Utah is a six-point favorite in this football contest. Tom, who you got? You know, I'm going to have to go with the Utes here. I, before we had made our picks just now, I went through and looked at, you know, your style points versus all teams uh, between Oregon and Utah. And I uh, wouldn't be shocked if Oregon does pull this off, but it's I think it's the year of the Ute. And I like Utah to go ahead and get this done by more than six. Okay. Uh, I look at this game, Tom. Utah has not played anybody all season long. They're dominating bad teams. Oregon's got a first-round quarterback in Justin Herbert. They have one of the best defenses in all of college football, I think the Ducks, despite the lull that they've played with the last couple of weeks, not only do I have them covering that six-point margin, Tom, you've heard it first in this program, I like Oregon to pull off the upset and knock off the Utah Utes on Friday night in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, you are from Oregon, so I, I can see your homer pick here. I was never an Oregon fan, for the record. We'll, we'll, we'll make that straight. Um, but I will go with Oregon here. I, and I've always liked Utah, too. Um, you know, that's a, a very good school. Uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham has done a good job taking back to all the days, you know, when Urban Meyer and Alex Smith were there. But I got to go with uh, Oregon in this one. Big Ten Championship. Number eight, Wisconsin taking on number one, Ohio State. This game going to be played in Indianapolis. The Buckeyes are a 16-and-a-half-point favorite in this ball game and uh, Wisconsin this is a team that has been up and down this year they had a, a nice win against Minnesota last week to get into the Big Ten championship they had a blowout win against Michigan early on in the season Tom uh, Wisconsin if they can slow down this game 
they could make it interesting, but ultimately Ohio State's a much more talented football team. They are indeed, and and you know why the line's a little high. What Wisconsin was able to do, and I I think a lot of people that end up taking Minnesota, myself included. Wisconsin's fought back. Uh, they had the loss against Illinois. They kind of derailed anything they had going this season, and uh, I think they can make it somewhat close at first. But I think Ohio State ends up pulling away. Ohio State sixteen and a half point favorite. We both like the Buckeyes to cover that one. How about Clemson and Virginia? It's the ACC championship game in Charlotte. That game, Clemson is a 28-and-a-half-point favorite. A lot of points for the Clemson Tigers, a team that has not impressed the committee this year as they've played some games closer than many people expected them to, like the North Carolina game, for example. But they have played much better in the last couple of weeks, coming off a 38-3 to win against South Carolina last week. Tom, 28-and-a-half for Clemson in the ACC championship. Can Virginia hang in there? They had a nice win against Virginia Tech last week. Can they come within that 28-and-a-half point margin? I don't think anybody's picking Virginia to pull off the upset, but do you think they can uh, at least keep it within four touchdowns? God, I hope so. For what that, you know, that conference is, I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson – goes and rolls them by that many uh for what it is though i'm gonna take virginia but to me that's just too many points it's almost disrespectful uh being a championship game i i what like i said wouldn't be shocked and this is a harder one to pick because the point spread so high and i could see clemson doing this and pulling that off but right now too many points i'll i will it's kind of like for me this game's a lot like blackjack the dealer showing two queens, or you know, the dealer showing a, a face card, and you've got a, a 15 or a 16 on the board. The game tells you to go ahead and hit, but I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to take. I'm going to roll with my chances. I I think this could be one of the make or break games. Obviously, we haven't seen Reed's pick, Derek's pick, or Brian Nolan's pick, uh, but I think this is one of the games that we could look back on if the you know, if the season comes down and our pick them to one or two games, I think this is one of the ones that either makes or breaks you. 28 and a half is a lot of points. That's the largest spread of any game we've picked this season. And it's somehow a conference championship game. I think Vegas knows something about how this matchup is going to go. I'm going to go with Clemson to cover a 28 and a half. And it's not a diss on this uh, this Virginia team, I think that we're going to see a different Clemson team here the next couple of weeks than we've seen all season long. First time they're going to be tested all year. They have the talent level. They are uh, the defending national champions. I think they'll kick it in gear, and I like Clemson to cover 28.5. Let's move on to the National Football League, the game of the week in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the New England Patriots. Chiefs coming off a win against the Oakland Raiders. New England coming off a loss to the Houston Texans. New England, a three-point favorite. Tom, very rarely does Bill Belichick and Tom Brady lose back-to-back games. Do they lose back-to-back this week with the Chiefs coming into Foxborough? You know what? I'm going to go ahead, and we talked about this earlier on the show, talked about mobile quarterbacks. I've already given you the game plan for the Chiefs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to move. He's going to move well, and he's going to move just enough. For the, for the Chiefs to go in, 
to Foxborough and pull that off. I will roll with the Chiefs. The Chiefs have had this game circled on their calendar since that AFC Championship game. It's not going to avenge anything that happened in that AFC Championship game until they get to the Super Bowl, but this is one that would mean a lot, a lot more for Kansas City than it will New England. And New England right now, I can't trust that team. And I think that Kansas City has turned a corner based on what we saw last week against Oakland. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to have two average off days again. I think he bounces back as a big game. I like the Chiefs to uh, not only cover as an underdog at three times, I like them to win outright. I'm going with the Chiefs to beat the Patriots this weekend. 49ers taking on the Saints. The Saints, two-and-a-half-point favorite against San Francisco. San Fran coming off a loss last week to the Ravens on the road. A very close game in which they did cover, by the way, as the road underdog. Uh, the Saints coming off a win against Atlanta. They've had a couple extra days to rest as they played on a Thanksgiving. Tom, do the 49ers get within that two-and-a-half-point margin? I don't think so. It's hard to win in New Orleans. Um, I, I think with the way that, you know, as much as I try to give them some praise and say, hey, it might be, you know, can turn things around, I think playing in Mercedes-Benz in New Orleans, I, I think the gumbo wins again, Jones. Uh, the gumbo wins again. Okay. I got to go with uh, New Orleans as well. We're, we're riding on the gumbo as uh, we started on the top of the show. I'll go with New Orleans at two and a half. The Seahawks taking on the Rammies. The Rams are at home. It is on Sunday night football. Rams are 7-5. and five. Seahawks uh, a one-point favorite. Must-win game for the Los Angeles Rams, but the Seahawks on their end, too, trying to keep pace with San Francisco. They can't really afford to lose much either down the stretch. Huge game for both these teams, despite being at much different places in the division. The Rams are just trying to stay alive for a wild card while the Seahawks are fighting for a division title. This doesn't have implications of who's going to win the division between these two teams, but it does have implications of who can get in the playoffs uh, with those wild card spots and such, too. Big game for both these teams. Who gets it, Tom? Rams should have won the first one. Uh, I'm still sticking by that. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. I think they'll put it away this time. I'll take the Rams. Ooh, okay, you're going with the uh, Rams. Uh, uh, I'll go with the uh, Seahawks to uh, take care of business. Uh, I liked what they did against Minnesota, in particular that third quarter. Uh, so I'll go with the uh, the Seahawks to a win in that one to take care of business. The uh, Titans taking on the Raiders. The Raiders coming off just an awful two weeks as they lost to the Jets, and then they ended up losing the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Uh, the Titans have played a lot better football since Ryan Tannehill took over at quarterback, and despite the offensive line struggles, they have really found some rhythm there. Tom, I I still don't think Marcus Mariota was the problem for Tennessee. I think that Tannehill just provided a spark of some sorts uh, for this team to turn things around. Uh, I like the Titans to cover two and a half, but uh, Tannehill, uh, amazing what happens when you get a guy out of Miami, what he can do. Right, no joke. Uh, ask um, ask the Cardinals that with Kenyon Drake. Um, as he, you know, didn't do so hot against the Rams this week, but having a great season. And, you know, I feel like Miami had all the pieces there, but now, you know, you trade away all these people and they're doing so well at other spots. But uh, Mika Fitzpatrick. Right, right, exactly. I mean, 
Maybe uh, maybe the Rams trading him a keep to leave will revive his what's left of his career. Probably not. But that being said, I will go ahead and take the Titans as well. I like what they've been able to do in these past couple of games, and and with the way that the Chiefs dismantled the Raiders, I I think it's time to pack it up and head to Vegas. All right, last game for you here: the Colts and the Buccaneers. The Bucks are two and a half point favorite. The Bucks have played some real good football the last couple of weeks uh, with some surprising wins. Meanwhile, the Colts are without Marlon Mack. Jacoby Brissett just came back a couple of weeks ago. They've kind of hit a lull in their season after that hot start, including winning at Kansas City on Sunday night football. Tom, Tampa Bay, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Can the Bucks get this one? You know, I like the Bucks in this one. Uh Jameis Winston and the Bucks have had such an up-and-down season uh, where, you know, thought was always lost, and then they get on a little hot streak. But Jameis just, still has to go, else. right? There's no way they're bringing him back. No, I don't think so. Not for the money that he would be wanting. Uh, so with that said, I do think the Bucks still win. Uh, if the Colts had Marlon Mack, maybe I'd, maybe I'd think differently. But it is in Tampa Bay. Uh, I, I think the Bucks can get this one. All right, uh, I'm going to go with the Bucks as well. Uh, Bruce Arians at home, uh, I think they take care of business. I think this this pick for me, Tom, is not so much about the Bucks, but more so about the Colts as far as the struggles they've had as of late. I think that the Buccaneers will win this one, cover two and a half. So those are our picks for this week. The college football slate, we're both going with Georgia's seven and a half point dogs, both going with Oklahoma to cover at nine. I like Oregon as a six-point underdog. Tom likes Utah. We both like Ohio State to cover 16.5. I got Clemson at 28.5 to cover. Tom's got Virginia as an underdog. We both like the Chiefs as underdogs against the Patriots at 3. We both like the Saints at 2.5 to cover against the Niners. I'm going with the Seahawks to cover a one-point margin at the Rams. Tom's going with the Rams to get it done as an underdog. We each like the Titans as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and we each like the Buccaneers as two-and-a-half-point favorites. And those are our picks against the spread this week. Follow along all season with us here on the Jones Report. All right, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Tom, where are we going to head to this time? Jones, so we're going to stay right here in America, and we're going to go with a problem that could be a very big problem and I, I feel a certain way about this and I think you will too because it always seems like there's a shortage of something it always seems like there's either a a shortage or something or B it's always Honda days or Toyota thon right and right they're always I feel like, like the it's always Toyota I feel like the December to remember sales event goes on for more than December Oh, it has to, and and that might be a story for another day because we're going to go with the shortage story here, and this this comes from CTV News. Never heard of that outlet, but it looks credible enough, and it's on Reddit, so we'll go with it. Headline reads: A North American French fry shortage could be on the horizon. I guess the story technically comes from Toronto because that's what it started out with Toronto. It's a French fry lover's worst nightmare, a potato shortage that could hit their wallet and their plate. Now it looks like this nightmare could become a reality. Some potato producers in North America are reporting a cold and wet fall that has negatively impacted crop yields among farmers. 
This combined with an increased demand for the vegetable has left those in the industry with a tight supply. Processors are desperately trying to find products in order to offer us the chips and french fries we all love. But apparently harvest has been tough, snow came in early, and potato potatoes are a vulnerable crop. Sylvia and Charlotte Boys, director of the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, told CTV News Channel on Monday. As early as of early November, the top potato farmers in the U.S. were projected a 6.1% decline in total crops from a year ago, making it one of the lowest crop yields on record. Oregon is expected to be the most hard-hit area, with potato production falling 16% from 2018. According to Bloomberg News, 18% of Manitoba's harvest was left in the ground due to poor weather. This equals the amount of abandoned across Canada in 2018. Additionally, about 6.5% of crops in Alberta were damaged by frost. A more detailed breakdown of the Canadian potato crops is expected on December 6th. French fries are, a part at, are at a particular risk, Bloomberg adds, as the yield thus far has brought in much smaller potatoes, and French fry companies prefer bigger potatoes for production. It remains to be seen how much of an impact a possible potato shortage will have on consumers' wallets, but Charlotte Boys notes prices are already climbing. One thing that people don't know is prices have actually gone up in the past 12 months, he said. Potatoes are 20% 20% more expensive than a year ago, and frozen fries up 17 cents from a year ago. Charlotte Boys also said it's possible Canadians could be served a smaller portion of fries for the same price as a way of dealing with the shortage. It's called shrinkflation, he said. It's a phenomenon we don't necessarily see all that often, but it does happen when we input cost increase. Jones, this seems more directed at Canada, but uh, with the way it's going or with the way it sounds, it seems that the U.S. could be impacted too. I, for one, love French fries. I think it's one of the one of the greatest foods out there. There's so many different varieties, so many different seasonings, so different, so many different cuts. Uh, each restaurant has their own, and some restaurants are a lot better than others. I'm looking at you. Um, can I almost said Casey's for some reason, but it's not Casey's. I ruined it. Uh, restaurant that serves the steak burgers. Help me out. Steak burger restaurant. Um, how did I forget? This is why. See, I don't even eat there, you know, that much, and it's partially due to their French fries. Freddy's. Oh Freddy's. yes. I'm yes. looking at you, Freddy's, with your trash. French fries. I hate their French fries. French fries. And, and what they have in front and, and, you know, with the quality of their fries, uh, they think their fry sauce makes up, but no, it does not. It's trash. It doesn't even come close to Kane's fry sauce. It doesn't even come close. The best fries, um, Tom, are, are crinkle cut fries. Like Brahms? Like Brahms or Kane's. Those are my favorites. Give me some good crinkle cut fries. I do like McDonald's or uh, a some lot. waffle fries. Now I will say, Tom, what? I don't go anywhere though specifically just for fries. Do you or do you know anybody that just goes somewhere and orders like, hey, I just want a drink and some fries? No, it's always a side. So I don't think this is the end of human existence by any means. I mean, we can move on past this. Basically, doesn't no, 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 it's not. But at the same time, when you go to a restaurant, you get fries. I mean. Sure, you could get some other options, 
But uh, in, in the shortage, doesn't it really just mean that we're just going to be paying more for the fries? They're going to come from somewhere. We may be short of them in the U.S. and in Canada, in North America, but we'll just import them from somewhere else. I mean, I, I would assume so, but and it's just not French fries in general. Uh, there's, a, Like I said, the potato is one of the most, you know, you can diversify. There's so many different things you can do with it. A lot of people love baked potatoes. I'm not, I'm not 100% on those. But what I have been making a whole lot here lately is one of my dad's recipes. He calls them John Taters. John Taters. You know, oh, and you have yet to have them, but What's the next John time tater? you come, I'll have to make them. So it's a recipe that is secret within the family, so I cannot release or disclose any of the ingredients. I like to add jalapenos in mine, though, to make them spicier. But essentially, potatoes, you put them in an aluminum pan, put all the good seasonings on them, and I won't disclose. And then, and obviously, a lot of butter. You can even put cheese on them. We've done that before, and they turn out pretty good. And then you put them on the grill. Uh, you cut them up into, like, chips, right? Okay. And then you put them on the grill, and you grill those suckers for about close to an hour, depending on how Ooh. many you have. And they come out delicious. Oh, and with the holidays coming up, we like our comfort foods. I feel like potatoes are one of those, depending on how you, you know, make them. Mashed potatoes, obviously. Um, it's a holiday food for sure. Now, so, I gotta will say, I continue Tom, on paying and buying potatoes? Yes. Right. I got to say, isn't this all Brian Nolan's fault somehow or other? Idaho is famous for their potatoes. That's literally the only thing in Idaho. That's the only thing that they do for America and the entire world. And somehow there's a shortage on potatoes. Uh, I think that Brian and all of his Idaho friends better get to work and get us our potatoes. Right. Stop the marijuana production in Idaho. Take all those indoor grow facilities and turn them into potato growing facilities until we can get this thing back up to normal. Right. That's what you need to do. That's what we, we need to figure out is, is get those folks on it and get our French fries taken care of and back for a reasonable price. Tom, uh, who has the best French fries? We mentioned some places. You said you like McDonald's. Um, who, who comes to mind? I like waffle fries too. Like, give me a good Chick fil A waffle fries. Um, Wendy's, Tom, I felt like they used to have the best fries until they started leaving the potato skins on there. Like, why are you leaving the potato skins on there? You had a perfectly fine French fry at Wendy's, and then they just had to ruin it. Right, I dare you to tweet that at the Wendy's and see if they roast you back. I bet they, I, I they're pretty witty. I don't know if they want to, if I want to go after them. Uh, they might say, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> You're not ready. Kansas is ready for Bama. Kansas wants Bama after beating Texas. But Jones does not want any part of Wendy. I, I feel like uh, I might be looking like Kansas did against Baylor if I tried doing that move. Right, you might. You know, I, I'm not never been a huge fan of Wendy's, to be honest. It's one of my last choices that I would pick. Um, but I think McDonald's has the best. I will say Brahms is up there. Brahms has some of my favorite French fries. I will tell you, though, and obviously Chick-fil-A, you can't get, I mean, I can't think of another restaurant that, that does waffle fries, not at least in my vicinity. Uh, I feel like a place like uh, Carl's Jr., no, not even them, maybe like Jack in the Box, I feel like would do a waffle fry just to stay relevant. Oh, here you go, Tom. The- Here's who's got good 
Crinkle cut fries. You ready for this? Uh, it better not be Culver's. It's Culver's. Oh, my God. It would be Culver's. Oh, that's so good. Culver's would do that. Now, the worst French fries, I mean, there's a lot of places that say they have the best fries. I uh, personally think it's McDonald's. Uh, They're my favorite. Um, Now, if Whataburger could step up their French fry game a little bit to match the greatness of the spicy ketchup, then that would do a whole lot for the world. Now, what you can do with those Whataburger fries, what I like to do, Tom, and some people might find this disgusting, but I'm proud to do it anyway. I take the Whataburger fries and I dip them in the chocolate milkshake. You get the right blend of sweet and the fry together and salty. Oh, my gosh. That's life-changing. That, that would be pretty good. Jones, as far as the worst French fries go, I think it has to go to Freddy's. Yeah. I would go after Freddy's on Twitter and say you guys have potentially the worst fries in America. Yeah. Um, second after that, I would say the other worst fries would be Sonic. Terrible. They're terrible. I never get their fries. Uh, I always get tater tots, and I ask for them well done. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, no, see, maybe that's what they're not even concerned about it because no one even likes their fries. I think Long John Silver's fries are trash. I think that's the most trash fast food restaurant in America. It's Long John Silver's. I'm not afraid to say it. You can you can at Long John Silver's and tell them I said it. I think they're trash. I don't mind Long John Silver's. It's You have to take into account, though, that's not real seafood. Right, right. And I don't think anybody thinks that. You just get your normal fried cod and your fried chicken. Um uh, also, I, as far as trash, fast food restaurants, KFC and Long John Silver's are the bottom of the barrel for me. Um, but if we want to stick with fries, I I really do think Freddy's has the worst fries in America. You might be right. Uh, I think that Freddy's is probably the, uh, the choice there. But, I mean, I'll say this, though. Like, yeah, they might have the worst fries. But there's a lot worse things to eat out there. Like, if you make me eat Freddy's fries, I'm not going to pl- complain. I'm still going to eat them. It, they just not wouldn't be something that I would go out there and handpick and say, Real, I'm really dying for some Freddy's fries. That, that's true. And, and I guess this is kind of a fast food restaurant. Uh, but as far as just fries go, I feel like Five Guys has some solid fries. Oh, and you always get, like, more than enough. You could order, like, a small, and then, they, like, they put a whole bag full of fries they get a for large, you. yeah. They go over the board, overboard, and I appreciate that, that they uh, give me more than I asked for. Like, you get your money's worth and then some. You know, instead of going to Nola's tomorrow... When I make my way to Tulsa, I might make my way to Five Guys. It's been a long time since I've had that. Maybe one of my favorite Five Guys locations is that one in Kansas City by the outlets. By the uh, Legends? Right. Every time I go to the outlet, you know, right over there, I've got to go to Five Guys at least once. I was picking up my boss from the airport, and uh, we were hungry, so we pulled over in the uh, Legends. And uh, he saw... A Fuddruckers, and he said, we're going to Fuddruckers. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And uh, I've only been there a couple times. It's been a long time. And we get up there, and uh, Fuddruckers was closing. And so he said, all right, we're going to Five Guys then. Well, it was on the other side of the shopping mall, and my boss, and it was pretty cold. It was like in the, you know, 20s or something, and 
And I said, okay, you want us, should we move the car? And he said, no, we're walking over there. So, by golly, we walked to five guys to make it before they closed. There you go. You can't beat it. I mean, five guys, five guys is just, it's great. It's uh, one of the better places in America. And they're proud to, uh, they're proud to show it, too. I mean, they're not afraid to announce that all over their wall. And I applaud them for it. I'll tell you what, that area of Kansas City right there, with the five guys and then the cheap outlet mall right there and then you got yard house right there and and you could even go over i think it's is it still cabela's or is it the big bass pro that's right there uh cabela's is, is there uh and then you got the great wolf lodge is there and uh you also have uh, a hooters over there and the racetrack and you know you got sporting kc yeah it's great yeah, yeah, you got it all right there. That's a great little spot, honestly. And then you, you got, got uh, the uh, Arthur Bryant's barbecues the, over there, right? And then you got that water park that is very dangerous. Uh, I mean, Schlitterbaum closed down. I can uh, confirm that. After for that incident specifically, yes. That is that's that is the sad story. Uh, but other than that. That area of Kansas City is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great place would, to be. Just don't there's be, your little Kansas City. Uh, just don't be like right me there. and try to uh, go to Foot Ruckers when they're closing. Uh, I learned the hard way, and didn't get to go to Foot Ruckers. I had right. uh, five guys instead. I'll say this, Todd. Um, the next time you're in Kansas City, we're gonna go to Kansas City Joe's Barbecue. And get the Z-Man sandwich, because uh, it's the best around. And uh, I usually get the Z-Man with the burnt ends on it. And their fries, oh my gosh, the seasoning they put on there, uh, it, it will change your life. That might be my favorite fries is at uh, Casey Joe's. Jones, speaking of fries, next time you're in Tulsa, and you said, is it this weekend? Uh, I will be in Tulsa this weekend, yes. I think we ought to just go ahead and go to Mother Road Market so you can try the best chicken sandwich you've ever had. And it didn't even dawn on me until just now. Thinking about their fries, their fries are just how you like them. They're crinkle cut. They are a lot. I would compare them fairly close to Cane's, but better. And then there's the seasoning they put on them. I know you're not a big spice guy, and the fries may be a little too hot for you, but as long as you get the mild chicken sandwich and not the medium, I think you'll be sitting pretty, and you can even get cheese. Their their cheese sauce that that goes with them is out of this world good. So, I think we ought to just set that day right now. That what Saturday, sometime or another, that we will go to Mother Road Market. I'm down. I'm down. We'll make it happen. On that note, we got to get out of here. Big thanks to Taylor Kaufman for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Make sure to give her a follow. And check out all the great work that she's doing uh, in the Ozarks. We appreciate her giving us a few minutes of her time today. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. And uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live and Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas at Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your week. For Thomas Bridges, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.
The Jones Report. F*** yeah.